Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Brothers F Bookcast. Today, we're going to be talking about an author who I think most of you must probably know, who's John Ronald Rural Token, or better known as J.R.R. Token, who is a very famous author, I would say. He was born um, the 3rd of January, 1892, in Lomenstein. Um, South Africa, modern-day South Africa, for, forgive me for the pronunciation, and uh, he died the 2nd of September, 1973, in Bournemouth, England. And today I'm here talking about him with uh, my fellow brother, Diego. Hey, Diego. Hey, Juancho, uh, Juanpi, sorry, it's Juanpi here. Um, <laughs> how to start here? You know, I mean, this is one of the greatest authors in human history. How can I yeah, say I mean- this? All you have um, to do is I'll say, here's how I'll put it. The Greeks had Homer. The Romans had Cicero. <laughs> the Spanish had Miguel de Cervantes. The French probably had a famous author. <laughs> and the English-speaking peoples have J.R.R. Tolkien. And I mean that with all seriousness. This was an author who changed the course of modern English literature. He is one of the greatest authors ever to live. Just as Homer's Odyssey is poetry, so is J.R.R. Tolkien's, so are J.R.R. Tolkien's works poetry. Everything this man wrote was a form of epic poetry. And there's nothing you can say to change my mind. Jeez Louise, I think that was poetry in itself, Diego. <laughs> I firmly believe what I just said. This was something he, J.R. Tolkien, I mean, where to begin? Man, talk about a master author. I mean, this was an author who, on top of just being a fantastic writer, had a fantastic imagination and ability to create that has in human history been unparalleled. And I mean that. He was able to draw on so many different types of mythology, so many different languages, so many different eras of history. He was very learned, and he was able to take that knowledge and create what are today modern-day epic poems. You know, um, obviously his most notable works here are The Lord of the Rings, which I think are probably some of the best just best forms of literature ever in human history. And uh, wow. I, 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 and I, I mean this sincerely. This, this was an author um, who kind of, I, in my opinion, he is the Homer of our time. What do you think? You know, I got to agree. I mean, this guy, this guy was a great author. And honestly, he really, he did it all. I mean, he, people love him. And, like, I mean, all you got to do is look on his Wikipedia page, which is about, like, 80, 80 pages long, and it, like, goes into his ancestry even about, like, the 1600s. It's truly amazing. People love this guy so much. It's really crazy. Yeah, it, it is something that's just unparalleled in human history. And um, it's just, it it's something that just... It's just, it to me, is incredible. So to give a little background to our listeners, I actually took a class on the Lord of the Rings in college. Um, I know you guys are all going to call me a nerd or whatever, but guess what? 
I had an English elective and my chances, my, my choices were, you know, the J, a, a class on the Lord of the Rings and J.R. Tolkien or a class on, um, the personification of animals in literature or something. And I'm sure that would have been interesting, but the choice was very easy. And I got into the class and it was something remarkable. And it, it was just a great experience. And I guess, you know, um, I'm not sure I've been able to sing his praises sufficiently here. Um, but I've got, I've just, I've, I've, I've got to say, you know, I'm sure most of our, you know, listeners have, if not read the Lord of the Rings, at least in the movies, and if not seen the movies, at least heard of it, heard of them, um, heard of the books or movies, and they really are truly something. And this all comes from the genius of J.R.R. Tolkien. I guess it's a, a good segue to talk more about his life. You know, know. J.R.R. Tolkien was someone who, by all accounts, lived a normal life for early 20th century England. But you got to take into account that normal life in early 20th century England would be a life full of adventure today, right? Like people went through a lot harder times back then. So, I mean, just to give kind of his life in a nutshell, like he, as uh, Juanpi mentioned, he was born in Bloemfontein, South Africa. Apologies to our South African listeners for botching that pronunciation. And, you know, but at the age of three, he moved to England because his father passed away. Imagine what a tragedy. Um, and he b- was kind of raised in, you know, two areas, two suburbs of the Birmingham, England area. And uh, at the age of 12, you know, then his mother went and passed away. And uh, he was left an orphan at the age of 12, which I think, you know, if you think about today, um, that's just something that's incredibly sad. You know, like imagine meeting a 12-year-old orphan. Of no, I think he he had an older, yeah, yeah, he had an older brother, um, Hillary, who was also like well, younger, orphan. Younger oh, younger. Okay, yeah. my bad. I younger like brother. This is a great point to point out about him. Uh, from what I've read, at least he really took advantage, or like just used his situations really well with what had happened to him. And so, I think that's a great example of him. Like, you know, his mother died, but he still like he went on. Like, his mother died, but he's one of the like best known authors today like so clearly something happened or just he didn't he didn't let that stop him he went further than that of course yeah i mean to me his i i know i said his story's normal and i guess to a certain extent it wasn't really even that all that normal for early 20th, 20th century england because i don't think most kids would have been raised orphans i'm sure it was a lot more common then than than it is now but it still probably wasn't very common then and, you know, to be left in that sort of a situation at that age, um, and he was by no means born into a wealthy family. Uh, he, when they first moved to England, they actually lived in a pretty um, poor area. And then they were able to move to, you know, a lower middle class suburb outside of Birmingham later on. But by no means was he born into wealth. And uh, he definitely made the most of a, you know, a childhood that for most people, you know, understandably would cause great trauma. And I'm sure it did in his life. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this guy let much stop him because, well, he made it as far as he did today. Yeah. And it's worth noting that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You go. You go. 
No, I mean, and it's just worth noting that, um, you know, not even his own family. So obviously his dad died at a younger age, so he wasn't um, super close to them. And then like his mom family, his mom's family kind of disavowed them because his mom, Mabel, and her sister converted to Catholicism, uh, which they came from a Baptist family. And that was a big no-no back then. So he didn't really have a family to fall back on. He did live briefly with an aunt who was rather unsympathetic towards him and then moved with a Mrs. Faulkner. And, you know, that's where he kind of lived his days. But he didn't really have anyone to to fall back on. And maybe this is where um, maybe this is where he got his great imagination and great, I guess, ability to tell stories. I mean, he he didn't really have too many people that he could rely on or talk like I, I don't assume so because he just didn't have that many people in his life. And so maybe he was able to take these gaps and this time of like not really being with people and use it to like broaden his imagination and maybe think of elves and uh, dwarfs and all that stuff. So maybe that's where this all came from. Yeah. And uh, now I challenge our listeners, our wonderful, wonderful listeners who will hit subscribe and follow us on all on their preferred, you know, podcasting forum uh, to imagine this. You're 16 year old, you're 16 year old years old and you meet the most beautiful, amazing woman ever. You meet the woman you're convinced is going to be your wife. And you meet her and you talk to her and it turns out she feels exactly the same way as you do. And uh, you guys decide that no matter what happens, you know, um, you both have a lot of shared experiences and, and you want to get married. And then all of a sudden, your guardian, remember he's an orphan, tells you, um, you're not allowed to talk to this girl until you're 21. Okay? So they met when they were 16, and then at the age of 17, he was told, you're not allowed to talk to this woman until you're 21. Um, Apparently, he had, you know, failed a few exams because he was talking to her too much, and um, uh, Miss Edith Mary Bratt's parents weren't super thrilled that she was going out with a Catholic. So he's told at the age of 17 that he's not allowed to talk to her, not even write to her, not even correspond with her until he's 21. And Tolkien, being the great noble man that he is, obeyed that prohibition to the letter and did not talk to this girl at all. Yet all those years... He never forgot about Edith Mary Bratt. And the day he turns 21, he immediately writes to her and uh, continue. And they pick up where they left off. In fact, on the evening of his 21st birthday, he wrote to Edith knowing that she wouldn't get it till the next day. So that right when he turned 21, she would receive the letter. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's insane. That's like, it sounds like the classic, you know, Hallmark love story. Like a baby classic Hallmark love story that you know you never really see in real life. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, he went he went almost four years without talking, you know, to the woman he fell in love with. Who, you know, a lot of people would have told him, "Ah, you were sixteen when you met her. It's, uh, you know, it's just teenage love. It's whatever. You got you have no idea what you're doing." But no, he uh, he stayed loyal to her and she to him. And you know, same goes with Edith. She she was not allowed to talk to him either, and she 
they both kind of, without being able to correspond, you know, stay true to each other. Isn't that just such a lovey-dovey love story that you would see in a Hallmark movie? It's honestly kind of stuffy. It's like, ugh, open the window. I mean, my goodness, that sounds really romantic. It sounds kind of gross. She was actually, I think she was three years his senior. So Yeah, she was older than he. How old were they when they... um? When she would have been 24 when, when he was allowed to talk. When they, how old was, was he when they met? Well, this, this is going to be a tough one. So, um, Wumpy, if he was 16 when they met, and she oh, was three 20, years thank older than him. You. What, oh, my goodness. What is this? No. Yeah. Thank you, Diego. Okay. So, they were 21 when they... Ugh, what am I saying at this point? Okay. You know what? Just ignore me. All right, he was 16 when he met her. She would have been 19. He was 21 when, 21 when yeah, she would have been 24. And uh, to make the love of the story end with a happy ending, they fell in love and got married and started a family together. So got married um, on March 22nd, uh, 1916, right before he headed off to war. Yeah. So, Juanpi, I don't know, maybe you want to touch on that part of his life a little? Yeah, so actually, he did not want to go to war. He really didn't. He he was actually, it was frowned upon, like, people, like, it was frowned upon if you didn't, like, choose to go to war. And eventually, after a lot of eyebrow raising from his friends and, like, the people in his class, I guess, um, <coughs> he decided, okay, you know, I'm going to enlist. So he enlisted, and he did not have a very happy time in the war. Um, I forget what he joined, but it was not a fun time for him. I f- I think he got so much slice that he actually got sick, and he had to he was he had to drop out of the war. He was moving through from hospital to hospital, um, with the army, and then eventually he got like a little bit better from that sickness from the lice. So, um, he was able to work a little bit more for the war effort, but then um. Then the war ended. So that was not a fun time in his life, I would say, at all. I mean, in fairness, I don't think it was really a fun time for anyone uh, serving in World War One. To give a little more context, you know, he joined, like Wumpy said, kind of reluctantly. But eventually he did. He kind of felt the obligation to do so. So he joined in um, 1915. And then in uh, June of 1916 he was told he would be sent to France to fight in the front, you know, the front lines. And so that's when he decided he would marry Edith. He married her. He immediately went off to France and then fought in the trenches for four months until he contracted trench fever, which was a terrible, terrible disease. It was kind of like getting a, um, it's more, it's kind of like a, a typhoid type fever. And, uh, it was not pleasant. It was so bad. He actually had to be sent back to England to recover. And he honestly never really did for the next four years. You know, when, when he was healthy, he would go back to help train uh, troops. He actually got promoted to lieutenant. He was actually a pretty good soldier, apparently. But uh, yeah, he battled that fever for a long, long time. So, so far we have dad dies, mom dies, doesn't get to talk to the love of his life for until he turns 21, goes to war, contracts a terrible disease. Um, so far, not very happy, right? 
Yeah, so far, pretty adventurous life. Um, adventurous. Yeah, I would, I would agree. <laughs> Lots yeah. has gone wrong there. I, you know, props to him for being able to remain optimistic all those years because, wow, talk about a fast beginning to your life. That's pretty crazy. Um, and, I mean, to be to be clear, you know, I took my modern European history in, in high school, you know, that AP class. Um Serving in the trenches during World War One was not a pleasant experience. Even if he only did it for four months, that he would have seen things that would have, I mean, everyone did, that would have been just extremely traumatic. And um, he had most of his friends get killed, I think, all but, you know, one of his closest friends from high school or whatever their equivalent was there um, was killed. So he had like kind of a group of five close friends and four of them died. Which in 1918 alone. <laughs> to goes, the love of his life, immediately goes to war, tracks terrible disease, most of his friends die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had forgotten about that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Just to add fuel to the fire. But, you know, um, things kind of get better from there. So eventually the war ends. Um, and he actually leaves the army at, in, um, in 1920. And, uh, yeah, and that's when kind of his, uh, his work begins. His academic. You know, that's when he kind of, his academic works begins and in kind of his, his life as an author begins and his life as a, as you said, academic begins. I don't know. You want to take it from here, Wumpy? Just kind of provide a little background over there. Um, okay. I think he became, sorry, this is like my, my shaky part of his life story, like this kind of beginning before World War II part, is I think he became part of like a professor at a, univer a university, I think the University of Leeds maybe, or not a professor, some, some position at the University of Leeds, and eventually was there, and then he, in uh, 1990, he began tutoring people. Not 1990, or, but... <laughs> 1919, sorry, 1919. Yeah. And um, he started tutoring these people. And then eventually afterwards, he started writing um, The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings. And then... Um, yeah, and then, you know, comes that time which I was talking about earlier, the Second World War. Yeah, and to... Just to provide even more background, he was writing all throughout, you know, even before he was at war, he was always a writer. He has a lot of works that, you know, aren't as well known. Um, mm -hmm. Many that were inspired by his friends who actually passed away, including the Silmarillion. Um, but, you know, he is writing throughout. And as Wumpy mentioned, he did take a post as a position of as reader at the University of Leeds, which reader... Roughly, roughly translates to associate professor. So he oh, became okay. an associate professor at Leeds. Um, and there he continued to write. He wrote the Book of Lost Tales and continued to invent what he called Elvish languages. Um, and um, yeah, just continued to develop his career. And then in 1925... Uh, the Rawlison and Bosworth Professorship of Anglo-Saxon 
at Oxford fell vacant and Tolkien applied for the post and, and received it. So in 1925, he kind of became a full professor at Oxford, um, which is where, you know, his career really took off and what he's most known for. I mean, besides writing The Lord of the Rings. And then the Second World War hit. <laughs> so Tolkien was like, I think not hired, but enlisted as a code breaker. And then he was asked to do that and then um, got trained as a code breaker. And it turns off that was not wanted. <laughs> um, so they told him that his services were no longer needed and he was off. So that was kind of not, I don't think he actually did any actually fighting on the front. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Diego. Diego? He did. Oh, uh, no, not during World War Two. Yeah, not during but, World War II. you know, that his, his role in World War Two wasn't like all that significant. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I guess this is a good segue to transition out of the more biographical stuff and then back into kind of the legacy he left, right? So a um, little cool fact for everyone, you know, at Oxford, he started developing like a pretty sophisticated social life with other academics there. And uh, he formed a group with some friends with similar interests called the Inklings, um, you may have heard of some of these friends, you know, they were kind of casual writers. One of them was C.S. Lewis, you know, you may or may not have heard of him. Uh, others were Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, um, a Mr. Colgill, a Mr. Dyson. And they kind of had just a group. They were just a group of friends who would write together, meet every Tuesday at a pub and, uh, you know, just talk about their literary successes, talk about uh, religion. Um, there were a lot of Christians in the group, and actually it was this group and Tolkien who were instrumental in bringing C.S. Lewis to the Christian faith, um, which is another topic uh, for another bio. But um, but yeah, so he, he was, his social life was far from unremarkable, really. He was pretty sophisticated, and... Uh, he, his friends were like in they themselves pretty successful authors as well and you could imagine like back then these people may have not i mean they were Tolkien was famous in his day definitely not as famous as he is now um c.s lewis was famous in his day definitely became more famous later in his life um uh same with um i think his name was uh ugo dyson yes it was ugo dyson he was part of the Inklings. He is also, you know, a, a somewhat accomplished linguist and author, or was. Um, and so this was a pretty stacked group of friends. What do you think about that? Well, imagine having your friends just be some of the most famous authors of, of, you know, the 20th century. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely like a work together. Like I think he and C.S. Lewis definitely complimented, complimented each other very well. I mean, they became, I think, very close friends. And yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that helped his writing style, like, or if he helped C.S. Lewis. I'm not sure what it was. They probably both helped each other in both ways. But, um, I don't know. To have, like, that that amount of accomplished writers, I mean, maybe, maybe their fame leads to each other knowing each other. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, Diego. Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist of some kind. But I think it, I think it could match up with him and 
C.S. Lewis um, just hanging out and chilling around, talking about writing. I think they kind of complemented each other and made each other better and better to the point where now they're super famous. So I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, Diego. But yeah, no, I think it was just you know some great intellectuals at the right place at the right time who all happened to be teaching in the same place uh, during the same time. Or I'm not sure if they were all at Oxford, but they all lived in the general area, and that was that was pretty pretty crazy. I guess uh, I I have some questions for you, Humpy. What you know? What is that you find most about J.R. most impressive about J.R. Tolkien's life and or you know his his books or like his his works? I guess for lack of a better word, you know. First of all, have you read the Lord of the Rings at all, and have it or have you at least seen the movies? And, and what's your take on those? Okay, so I grew up with a lot of older siblings, so I was kind of introduced. To the movies before the books, but then recently I started the books and I really started digging it. But then of course school started up again and I had to do that because blue school. But I started the Lord of the Rings. I got about I think three hundred or four hundred pages, uh, two hundred or three hundred pages in, and I was really digging it. I really liked it. I thought it was really great. Um, I really liked it. But I feel like after reading even like that. Like little bit of the Lord of the Rings, um, what really, I guess, awed me the most, or made me admire this guy the most was even though he had so many like downs in his life, like his mother dying, his father dying, all this stuff happened to him. He was still able to create this amazing world with like all these different languages and all these different characters and all these different things happening all at once. And then the Hobbit, and then the Lord of the Rings, and then the Semerillion, which I think he wrote afterwards, but really goes beforehand. I mean, this guy had a lot to write, <laughs> like, and I think it really amazed amazes me that he was able to write all this, even though with all these, I guess, setbacks that he had in his life, they didn't set him back. Like, they these things didn't set him back. He just either he plowed through them or they helped him in some way to get through this, and really made it this far with, I mean, these great works of literature, which I think a lot of people would know if you said, like, oh, have you guys heard of The Lord of the Rings? I don't think there'd be too many people nowadays who'd be like, no, I haven't heard of The Lord of the Rings. I feel like that's a really well-known book. Yeah, and, you know, I have a confession to make to our listeners. You know, um, this may come as a surprise um, to who are listening, but... I was actually, I've never really been a big reader. Funny enough that I'm on a bookcast. I've probably met, read more books for this bookcast than I have in my entire life, and I'm not kidding. So when I signed up for this class um, at my college, I did it because it sounded cooler. I had to take an English class, and it sounded cooler than the personification of animals. And I don't think anyone can blame me for that. Um, although the Lord of the Rings, you know, it... it a lot of fantasy and there's a lot of I guess you could say talking animals type uh it was definitely the more interesting class of the two and I was very lucky to get into it um and I'll be completely honest um I started the Lord of the Rings for this class we would have you know assigned readings and I couldn't put those books down I could not put those books down um I'm telling you guys like I'm not even like an avid reader I guess I am now because I'm on this book uh, bookcast, but um, 
And I opened these books and it was just a book I could not put down. These, I, I say a book because little fun fact for you guys, the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy was actually not supposed to be a trilogy. It was not supposed to be three books. It was actually, it was actually supposed to be one giant book. However, because there was a war going on and there was a lot of poverty in England, um, the publicist told him, uh, dude, we can't publish a book of this size. Like, uh, it's way too expensive for us. You're going to put us out of business. So here's what you can do. Make this into three books. We'll publish one a year or whatever. I don't know exactly what the schedule was, but they were in their original form supposed to be read at once. And I could not put the books down. Like, uh, I, I just can't stress that enough. And I'm not even a big reader. Um, and we will have an episode on the Lord of the Rings. Um, and I'll probably do an episode per book just because, you know, they're that good. But um, we will have an episode. We will, we will have an episode on them. But I got to say, guys, what I said in the beginning is true. Tolkien really is our the homer of our time. You know, now I, you know, I wasn't a very avid reader before, but now I am. And now, you know, I read quite a bit um, for this podcast <laughs> because I have to. Um, and of all the books I've read, nothing comes close to the Lord of the Rings. It is pure poetry. This was someone who invented full languages for fun. You know, you'll read language, you know, you'll read excerpts of languages in this book. And then you come to realize, wow, okay, so we read a few lines of this. He actually developed the whole language behind that. You know, there was like grammar rules that he knew only only he knew in his head. You know, he had an affinity for languages. Uh, he knew Finnish. He knew a lot of the Gothic, Germanic languages. He knew, um, I think, Welsh. He knew Old English. He knew Latin. He knew Greek. Um, so this was, uh, he was familiar with a lot of the Nordic languages. So this was someone who, you know, definitely had a big affinity for learning new languages, both in use and not in use. And I mean, it's just incredible. This, these were the works of, uh, of just like a master. And I really think you guys, if you haven't read the Lord of the Rings and just seen the movies, I was in your position and I really encourage you to just open those books and start reading them because Gerald Tolkien is truly one of the greats. You know, as someone who's reading them currently, it's just, it's a world. It's like, and it's very easy for it to like be in your head. And it's very easy to imagine, very easy to picture. It's like, this guy had to be a genius to be able to put this down on paper for me to be able to understand it in this way. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like you're saying, they're actually very easy to read. You see these like massive 300, 400 page books and you think, oh, they were written in the early 20th century. They're actually like extremely easy to read, which is crazy because they're very well written. But Aside from the long poems, he puts it into a way that is very nice for you to read. And I mean, I can't imagine writing something like that with that much detail and it being that easy to picture in the reader's head. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it really yeah. is. So uh, I guess with that, Wampi, do you have any kind of closing thoughts on J.R. Tolkien? I mean, I know we've been praising him, but you know, just you want to finish off with anything? Guy's a genius. Stand by that. I 
second that. He's a genius, and I will say it again. He's the homer of our time. So, um, I guess with that, you know, listeners, as always, thank you for uh, giving us your your time and listening through this. We hope this encourages you to open up the Lord of the Rings and read them if you haven't already. And if you have, I hope you were able to nerd out with us. Hey guys, this is Poppy, and thanks for listening to another great episode of the Brothers F Bookcast. Why don't you do us a favor and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And send us any feedback or episode ideas or just anything you'd like to reach out to us about at brothersfpod at gmail.com. Thanks, guys.